Welcome to By the Ghost Light, where we talk about the big news in the big world, in the big city, in Broadway, in our little podunk, quiet, disinteresting, disenchanted, know-nothing, small corner of Northwest Ohio. I'm Ryan. Hey, Ryan. You good over there? I'm okay. It's just a lot more disparaging of an intro than we usually get. I got some bad news, Cassie. What's the bad news? I've got some really bad news. Apparently, Bad Cinderella Mm -hmm. is bad. You know, Ryan, they did literally tell us that in the title. It is literally the title. I think I was just holding out hope that, like, people would see it and it would be and it would be like all right this isn't great but we love it right or like the internet would be like okay we understand that maybe this isn't the greatest thing that's ever been made but it says something or it's important or it's uh, uh established uh, established storytelling is being challenged or we're doing something di- good and different or neat or cool and i have way too much faith in our boy andy apparently apparently you do like there, there is a a content creator on TikTok who does musical theater top five lists, yes. and normally I I either agree with what he says or I can see where he's coming from, like I can see his perspective. And there's absolutely no shade to this content creator, but he recently did a list that was um, the top five musical theater shows that people hate just to be edgy and different. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the list was valid. It's like kind of the this thing was really isolated and niche and then became mainstream. And so now people are like hating it just to be, you know, different. Yeah. All the people who are like, I hate Hamilton. It's yes, too mainstream. Exactly. Or the people who are like, In the Heights was a factually better show, which I agree with, but you're not a hipster. <laughs> right. But But his starting point with this video was any of Andrew Lloyd Webber's shows. And I said, I watched that and I was like, or maybe Andrew Lloyd Webber shows are objectively bad (laughs) and I'm right. (laughs) The thing about Bad Cinderella and all of the reviews around it, like I'm looking at the review roundup on Broadway World and it's not just like, hey, the script is bad and the show just doesn't work because the script is bad. Like this runs the gamut between like... The acting is poor, to the direction is poor, to the story is poor, to the music doesn't work, to it doesn't mesh together, to it's just cringy. To like, there's so many bad things being said about this that it just, I still want to see it. (laughs) I suppose I can't blame you for that. Like, if I lived in New York City or like within train ride of New York City, I would absolutely go to tickets and get a $40 nosebleed bad Cinderella. To be fair, you do live within a train ticket of New York City. It's just a 15-hour train ride. <laughs> it's a very long, very long and expensive train ride. Yeah. Oh, man. But it's just, ugh. It's just not great all around. Uh, Jesse Green at the time says, um, it's bad because bad Cinderella is not clever, high-spirited, 
and a revamp like you might have expected. It has none of the grit of the grim tale. It does not have the sweetness of the Disney movie or the grace or melodic delight of the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. Instead, it's surprisingly vulgar, sexed up, and dumbed down. A parade of hustling women in bustiers and shirtless peck-rippling hunks. And that's all it is. The creators behind the new musical Bad Cinderella were at least clever about one thing, says Chris Robzer of Bloomberg. They claimed the word bad as their own before it could be used against them. Handily, there are many other useful terms to describe this production. Prurient, ill-conceived, nonsensical, overlong, and icky. Icky, that's a word you want used to describe your piece of art. Yeah. I mean, listen, my my other podcast host, Drew, and I, when we talked about Cinderella and we talked about Cinderella adaptations, you know, one of the things that we kind of landed on is there are so many takes on Cinderella that at this point, this was when we did an episode on Amazon's Cinderella movie that came out in oh, the, 2021 uh, with Camille Cabello. Yeah, and Dina Menzel, yeah. the jukebox. It was bad. It was not good. And and one of the things that we said when we did our episode on that movie was at this point Cinderella has been retold so many times by so many giants in the storytelling world in every genre that you really do need to have something new and substantial to say if you're going to take on retelling Cinderella again. And mm-hmm. I just, I don't trust that Andrew Lloyd Webber will ever have something that new and compelling to say. No, and especially not in this context. Like, he tried to have something new and compelling to say when he did a sequel, and that didn't work. And it's like... All. If you want to do a fairy tale musical, I am 100% behind you, but let's let's not reinvent the wheel. We have Rodgers and Hammerstein. They did Cinderella and they did it fairly well and then they improved upon it tenfold with the Brandy movie, which does have a stage script adaptation. Yep. So, pick a different fairy tale. Like pick one of these more obscure and I'm not even like it doesn't even have to be super obscure. It can be, you know, Sleeping Beauty, like a well-known fairy tale that's just not Cinderella. Like, let's take the stage musical format in a new direction because fairy tales aren't done in musical format very often. There's Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella and there's Into the Woods. I have an amazing segue. Please. Because I didn't know that this was what this was until this moment. Mm Mm-hmm. The, the cast of Once Upon a One More Time has been announced. The Britney Spears jukebox musical. Mm-hmm. Hey, Cassie, do you know what this show's about? Is it about Cinderella? A little bit. Oh, God. Complete cast has been announced for the Broadway premiere. It is the new musical comedy that flips the script on famous fairy tales, powered by Britney Spears' music. Uh, it'll begin previews uh, May 13th and open June 22nd. Um, we got a pretty good cast here, uh, a bunch of Broadway vets all doing it. Um, but I mostly just want to read the blurb. Mm-hmm. In an original story written by John Hartmere, who wrote Bear and the Upside, Cinderella, Snow White, Little Mermaid, and other classic storybook characters gather for their fortnightly book club when... Oh, baby, baby, 
a rogue fairy godmother grants their wish for a new story by dropping the feminine mystique into their corseted laps. The arrival of this new tome spurs a royal revelation. There is more to life than bird-made dresses and true love's kiss. The ultimate, revel- uh, the ultimate revisionist fairy tale for anyone who yearns to feel stronger than yesterday. Once upon a one more time, weaves the chart-topping anthems of the Princess of Pop herself, Britney Spears, into a heartwarming and uproarious musical adventure about take- taking happily ever after into your own hands. Okay, I have some notes. Yep. Read those princesses again for me. Uh, Cindy, Snow White, and Little Mermaid, as well as other classic storybook characters. I'm sure there's a full list here somewhere. Right. Okay. Cinderella, Prince Charming, Snow White, Stepmother, there's a narrator, the original Fairy Godmother, the Stepsisters, Rapunzel, Sleeping Beauty, Clumsy, <laughs> a couple more princes, Princess Princess P, Belle, Esmeralda, a couple of princes, Gretel, Goldilocks, Little Red. This feels like an unfortunate mix of actual fairy tale characters and Disney fairy tale characters. Sure does, doesn't it? Which has the potential to be troubling in the same way that Once Upon a Time the TV show was troubling. Just because I feel like they're going to pick and choose whether to be the Disneyfied version or the more traditional version to suit this narrative of like, let's liberate the fairy tale heroine damsels in distress when like Cinderella in the right version of the story is already she's not the damsel, same kind of damsel in distress that like Snow White is. I'll give you Snow White for sure. Um, Esmeralda is not a fairy tale character if it's the Esmeralda <laughs> that I think it is, which is the one from Probably, Hunchback yeah. of Notre Dame. So I don't really know what she's doing there. Um, well, I needed a new musical to get invested in because yeah, Bad Cinderella no, is bad. So I'm here for this. Um, I did I'm, not. I'm intrigued. No, I did not. I'm going to make you even more intrigued. I know you hate jukebox musicals. I do hate jukebox musicals. This has already played an extended out of town engagement. Okay. Okay, they played in Washington, D.C. at the Shakespeare Theater Company uh, from uh, end of November 21 through January 22. So about uh, so a little over a year ago. Um, it was a sold out extended engagement at that theater. Uh, it was praised as ingenious and improbably funny. It was described as an evening of buoyant delight by uh, Peter Marks at The Post. Um and who also wrote once upon a one more time is one of the most ambitious new musicals in a theater world awakening to a creative new day, a most unlikely cultural mashup reframing a bevy of storybook characters in an enlightened modern context. See, I think that's where we, that's where we potentially get into some trouble because I don't love pushing the narrative of all fairy tale female figures are damsels in distress who need to be rescued from their own narratives because that's actively not true i will reserve judgment but i am i'm cautiously optimistic but i do have just a little bit of trepidation because it's really easy to go down a specific road when you're talking about fairy tales that's very surface level and that's gonna be where i cap the nerdy (laughs) fairy tale analysis talk and I wish that they would do this with original music and stop making these jukebox musicals. 
there is an original musical that we know nothing about, but we have pictures of Shucked the Corn Show. Yeah. I know nothing about this. It is about corn. The photos look good. I've heard some some snippets of songs are starting to creep their way onto TikTok. Where would we be without TikTok? I don't even know. Yeah. We might find out. We might find out. We might find out. I will certainly not be as connected to the current Broadway musical theater scene. <laughs> For <laughs> if, sure. If TikTok gets shut down, it's where I get the For majority of sure, my news. For sure, though. Um, Shucked uh, officially opens uh, as of recording this tomorrow, April 4th. So by the time this comes out, uh, Shucked will be open. Um, so we'll probably hear more about it in the coming couple of weeks. Um I know there's a, a, a track out by Alex Newell who is in there uh, and that they have recorded a full cast album, which we'll hear eventually. But uh, Shucked looks interesting. It looks like a big old cornfield. I don't know what it is. We'll see. But if, Cassie, on the topic of musical sequels. <laughs> yes. Because we are going to go back to this. Um, we talked about musical sequels a lot a couple episodes ago. Um, but the thing we didn't address is if you got to write a sequel how would you approach it because if you if you made a show a straight play we'll say if you wrote a straight play and it was a comedy and then it worked and rip roaring success and then it instantly became a touring favorite and you were able to get the rights out and big community theater started to do it and then you were able to do your sequel and you knew that you had commercial success on your hands what do you do with the sequel to ensure continued commercial success. See, this is hard for me because as outlined in the episode that we recorded a little while ago, I'm opposed to musical sequels on just like an inherent level. And the only way I can get behind them is if they are adaptations of materials that are already sequels. So like if the creative team that wrote the Lightning Thief musical wanted to come back and write the Sea of Monsters musical, I would 100% be here for that. Okay. See, that's that's good because that content already exists and we know how right. that story goes and you can just go and do it and you're not just throwing Sketty at the wall. Right, exactly. Because the problem is that if you're trying to make a sequel that can stand on its own successfully without needing familiarity with the original story then you almost have to write one that is so disconnected from the original story that i don't know how much it could count as a sequel anymore so you have just kind of proven my point uh on this which is great for me because you claimed that this did not count as a sequel peter pan goes wrong has opened on broadway and they have done a uh bang up job of creating a narrator role uh-huh. that requires little to no rehearsal. So that means they can have anybody come in and play this role. So who who have they gotten to come in and play the narrator for Peter Pan Goes Wrong for most of the month of April on Broadway? I believe the answer is Neil Patrick Harris. It is Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris to join the company if Peter Pan goes wrong. I read that headline three or four times before I believed it to be true. I don't know what this is, but 
Yeah, it's great. Now, to be fair, Ryan, I believe what I said in context was that I didn't know enough about Peter Pan Goes Wrong to speak to whether or not it was a sequel. Right. I think that's we, where I landed. I think initially I said it didn't count, but then realized that I didn't know enough about the framing okay. device. You realize that maybe that perhaps we, we need some more education on the subject. Uh, sounds like we need to take a trip. Neil Patrick Harris said, I'm a massive fan of Team Mischief. They are the people behind uh, the goes wrong verse uh, and physical comedy in general. So I jumped or fell at the chance to join their genius on stage. That said, the role of the narrator mostly sits in a chair and reads a book. So apparently no rehearsals are required. I guess that's fine. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Sounds great. And I can't wait to see who else they can get to do this. Give me a pro shot. Put it on Broadway HD. We love to see it. We'd love to see it. Uh, we also have talked at length about the the rise of the live action remakes. Yep. Do you see this headline? Are you talking about Moana? I'm talking about Moana. We're going to get a Moana live action remake Less than a decade after the original animation was made. I love The Rock. I love how passionate he is about bringing his culture and his history to a mainstream audience. I think that that's Mm -hmm. phenomenal. But doing a remake of a movie that is less than 10 years old (laughs) is deeply upsetting to me. Yeah. At least all of the other Disney live action remakes thus far have been older movies. I think the most recent one up to this point was Aladdin or The Lion King, and those were from the oh. mid-90s. Mulan, yep. which was from the late 90s. Mulan, probably, yeah. But Mulan wasn't. Mulan ended up being very different. But right. That's a whole other thing. But that's still, that's still like 25 years old. It feels really too soon to do Moana. I, I would agree. The only thing I would push back on is, and maybe this is a bigger conversation, is how is this different? How does this feel different than them than Disney theatricals immediately putting Frozen on the stage? Because you're still going from animation to live action. You're going to a live stage. It's true. And somehow that felt okay. It was very quick. But somehow that feels different to me. I think it feels different to me, too. And I think that part of the reason is because it is eventually going to turn from a Broadway show into a regional show. And so it's kind of like spreading that story out. I don't know. I think the fact that they were turning it into a stage show so that eventually schools and regional companies could put on their own productions Mm -hmm. is what makes it feel a little bit more accessible to me sure i think taking a a a film or a movie or a whatever and putting it on stage is always going to feel different because it's a different medium yeah because at the end of the day i mean this is a this is a sarah chambers original that uh, uh a stage version is like like performance on a stage belongs to the actors but a performance in a but a film belongs to the editor or the director because you're deciding what goes in that box so it's a little it's approaching art differently and at the end of the day a live action or an animated is still what goes in that box that goes on your screen 
Right. And I think this goes back to what I was talking about earlier, excuse me, with um, adapting another version of Cinderella. Whereas if you're going to choose to adapt these stories, you really do need to do it because you have something new to bring to the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you adapt a movie into a stage show, there is frequently a lot of new things that can be brought to the conversation just because it's going to be in the hands of so many different directors and so many different Mm -hmm. actors. So there is that potential for new light to be brought to this conversation. Whereas when you're remaking a movie that's less than 10 years old and it's like the same creative team, like are they going to actually bring anything new to the story of Moana or are they just going to, are they just going to do it with people, do it with people instead of with animation? Yeah. You know, Lynn Manuel has not put a foot wrong professionally. So We'll see what happens. In the Heights turned out to be pretty good. Pretty mm-hmm. good fl- good flick. Good film. Yeah. And like out. I said, I think Moana is a really important story. I'm glad that it exists. I think it is a direction of diversifying the traditional stories that Disney needs to continue to do. But I don't know that we need a live action version of it. I don't I don't know that we do either, at least not yet. Um I'm willing to be proven wrong on that. I, I do understand why The Rock feels like he has to do this right now or it'll never happen. That's fair. Like, like I get that. Um, and especially, like, if, you know, he, if it's 10 years in the future, he's probably not in it. Right. So there's that, too. Um, I guess we'll see. Uh, last piece of news that we do need to touch on because it is taking the Broadway world and spreading it across the country and it affects tens of thousands of people and tens of, and hundreds of shows and i'm one of them the national council of actors equity association representing over 51,000 actors and stage managers has authorized the executive director to call a strike on all broadway league tours at a time he deems appropriate and that is astounding it is. There are some really good videos that you should seek out and watch from some of these Broadway performers kind of explaining what this strike is really getting at and what this strike is really about. And basically what it boils down to is the fact that contract guidelines have not been updated in terms of pay for about a decade. And so what these actors are kind of trying to negotiate for is that on top of their salaries, they receive a per diem. So they get a certain amount of money per day that is supposed to cover housing while they're on tour, as well as food, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because most of them have homes or apartments in cities where they're, that they're still paying for, even when they're not living in them because they're on tour. Right. And so this per diem is designed to keep them from basically paying double the rent. However, that per diem has not been adjusted for inflation in a decade. And these are not people who are living out in the middle of nowhere like we are. These are New York City apartments. These are people in big cities. These are high cost of living areas because that's where theater at this level happens. We should pay our artists a livable wage. We should pay everybody a livable wage. The people who are going on tour to present these stories to a larger, wider audience should be making enough money that they can comfortably do that without worrying about whether or not they're going to be able to eat in a way that is healthy to keep them doing this work that we're demanding of them. So I am 100% behind the actors and the technicians in this conversation. But if this strike 
prevents me from seeing the End of the Woods tour in a month. I'm on a riot. Not at the actors. Not at the technicians who are striking. But at whatever... Whoever the man is. Yeah, the man is. Yeah. Who's like, no, we shouldn't pay artists a livable wage. And also we shouldn't let Cassie see the End of the Woods tour. Uh, nearly 90% of equity stage managers and actors currently on tour have signed uh, the strike pledge. They are currently all operating in good faith under an expired contract that uh, expired on February 5th. A couple more days of bargaining have been added uh, running through April 12th. So um, it is it is April 3rd as we're recording this. So things may happen in the next week before this episode comes out. And I'm sure we will continue to talk about this into the future yeah. because... Um, this is a big deal. It's a really big deal, uh, and hopefully, both sides are able to uh, find a find an agreement quickly. Um, because we've all seen all of the other strikes happening throughout the rest of the country and mm-hmm. around the world, and maybe we should just pay people. There's my crazy thought. Just pay Absolutely. people. Just pay people. Just pay people. Like you get paid, Cassie. Like I get paid. You get paid. A livable wage to run your theater company, right? Um, I don't get paid a livable wage at either of my jobs, Ryan. If you combine them? No. Oh, boy. If I combine them and then also add in my husband's salary, then yes. But you do get to pick your shows. I do get to pick my shows. They are not they are not shoved down your throat by a board of directors. No, I do get the opportunity to pitch the shows that I want to direct to the board, and thus far the board has never said no. Which that's great. Um because it I, is. I guessed a couple of wild ones last time. You sure did, my friend. I sure did. And I um you know, I was glad I was right. You were not right. And I have a secret to tell everyone who's listening. You have a secret? What? I do. Well, I have your uh-huh. secret that I'm going to share with everybody. Cassie, no. Cassie. Ryan hasn't been actually guessing this whole time. He's just been being ridiculous. That's my whole shtick. I know. But this episode, he is actually going to put forth his best for real guess on what shows I have picked for the HYT season. And you should do the same. So the clues that I've given Ryan, just so everybody's on the same playing field, I'm directing two shows this upcoming season. Um, the first one is a is our straight play. It is the small cast show. It is for 13 and up. Um, the clues I've given about this production are HYT has done it before, but it's been a little while. So it's it's perfectly reasonable to revive it. And this is the smaller cast show, so I'm probably casting between 20 and 24 for this one. And then I will also be directing our musical next summer, which will be the all-ages production. So it will be open to students ages 8 to 18. And this is a show that I have wanted to direct for a very long time and have had intentions to direct a few different times in like the past five years. And things keep coming up to prevent me from doing this show. So we're doing it for real this year. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Barring any additional complications. Okay. I I want to ask one more question about the straight straight play. Yes. Are you doing Shakesplosion this summer to prep for a Shakespeare? 
No, I am going to give HYT a little bit of a break from Shakespeare after Shakespeare. Okay. All right. That I could see that one going yeah, either so way. So it is it is not a Shakespeare show. It is not a Shakespeare show. That is that is very good to know. All right. So I'm going to start with the musical because I feel pretty confident in my guess here. Okay. I feel pretty confident. And I think I'm just psyching myself up so that when I go over to on this, mm-hmm. it's compelling audio. Absolutely. Now, but also to clarify, because the bit for this has been, I guess, and then you go, Ryan, you're absolutely right. Today, I'm going to guess you're not going to say anything. I'm going to keep mum. I'm going to try and have a good poker face to not let you know immediately if you're right or not. Good news, Cassie. Mm-hmm. Nobody can see your poker face. You can see my poker I face. Can see, well, I can, but that's not the important thing here. Um, so I just need you to say one more time into the microphone that you're not doing puffs. We are not doing puffs. That was the sound of a thousand hearts breaking. So for the musical, my guess is that you're doing my least favorite show that I've seen on Broadway, which is Matilda. Okay. Because... Everybody wants to do it, and it's been a whole thing, and not enough people have done it, and I know you've wanted to do it. So that's my guess. Okay. Matilda. Although I don't know how the rights for that work right now because of the film. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Um, And then for a straight play, I was trying to think of shows that I knew HYT had done a couple of times, so I don't have as good of a guess here. So the the best thing that I could come up with that I knew Horizon had done multiple times is the Phantom Tollbooth. But I think that's been done too recently. We did the Phantom Tollbooth in 2019. 2019. So before a pandemic. So it has been a whole pandemic. pandemic. Mm -hmm. So it's been a couple of years. So I don't think that's right. But based on the clues, that's the best guess I'm coming up with. So I'm going to stick with it. So the Phantom Tollbooth... And Matilda. You don't want to go back to Brecht? Are you Are you sure? I am sure. We're not going to do Brecht. You don't want to do... Okay. All right. Are you ready? Drum roll, please. I actually um, contractually can't confirm if you're correct or not this episode. <laughs> so I can't announce not. here... I know, I know. We, I can't announce here before HYT does its official announcement. Um, so I'm leaving all of our listeners hanging... But next episode, I will reveal whether Ryan is correct or not. I will tell Ryan whether or not he's correct when we stop recording. Cassie, you're going to stop lying to me eventually, right? Mm-hmm. Cassie? Yeah? You're going to stop lying to me eventually, right? Yes. That was that was confident. <laughs> that was, uh, was awe-inspiring. How was my poker face? Uh, it's a pretty good poker face. Yeah. Do you have any sense of if you're right or not? Pretty good poker face. No, I was uh, uh, I was getting nothing. Good, getting nothing good, from I that face. Because I usually have a very bad poker face. So there was there was, was there was absolutely work. nothing going on. Nothing behind like, the eyes. Dead in the eyes, shell shocked, um, like a couple of the High School Musicals that I saw over the last couple of weeks. It is that time of year. It, it is, is the most. Season. It is High School wonderful season. time of the year. Yeah, you and I have seen quite a bit of High School Theater. In the sure last have. few weeks, I've seen two shows, two high school shows in the last two weeks. I've seen three high school shows, and we've seen one and a half of the same shows. 
yes. is how we're going to count that. So, so some slight some slight backstory so that people don't think that we're just, uh, you know, children haters. Uh, I have worked in high school theater for many years. I do not currently, um, but I have uh, tech directed and produced a lot of these shows. So I have some room to speak, and I currently work at a public school, middle school, doing a drama program. So we we poke fun at this. Yes, and and I want to be very clear because I think possibly some of our students listen to this podcast or could potentially listen to this podcast. Probably. We are going to have a conversation about high school theater and high school musicals, but we're not going to have a specific conversation about our high school shows. Correct. Because... That seems rude. Sure does. Not that we'd be saying bad things. I would say many, many complimentary things. I have some not negative things to say. Yeah. But we're going to be talking about it in a more general sense just to, you know, keep keep people from listening and wondering, like, are they talking about me right now? Because, again, that seems like kind of an underhanded way to use this platform. It really would be. Cassie would never do that. <laughs> I would, but Cassie wouldn't. She's nice. But I, I wouldn't. I would feel bad about it. No. Um, but one of our local high schools did The Adams Family sure uh, did. last weekend, which mm-hmm. I was supposed to stage manage and then ended up not being able to stage manage because pregnancy's mm-hmm. fun. And I'm, yeah. I've gotten two new health diagnoses since becoming pregnant. In addition to being pregnant? In addition I to think being that pregnant. So that's yeah. three. Okay. Yeah, um, but I've been <laughs> diagnosed with anemia. Nice. So I'm just tired all the time. Yep. And I've now been officially diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder that they've been pretty sure I had for like the past oh, six years. They just there haven't had Great. the extra Great. testing done. Um, so that's also causing some minor complications. I am fine. I promise. Nobody worry about me. But all of that made it very difficult for me to actually be able to stage manage a show. Yeah. But by the time my summer show comes around, I will have completed my iron transfusion regimen and will hopefully have my energy back. That would but be helpful. But regardless, local high school did Adam's Family and then two local high schools did The Little Mermaid because shows come in waves out here in the sticks. One person does a show and then everybody does the same show within the next like three or four years. Waves is a great water reference, great job. And uh, there was actually a third high school that did Little Mermaid the same weekend. Oh my I gosh. did not and see the third one. There's another group that did it last year. Another yep. high school did it last year. Yeah. And, so, I, and I saw I saw Adam's family uh, in the fall. Yep, me at too. A, at another high school. Yep. So it's a wild time. The, the wildest part of all of this for me is having done the high school musical season from the inside for so long getting to see all of these other ones is weird for me a a little bit because i'm usually so deep in my own that i can't go see all the other ones but also like i have not spent my march freaking out over finishing the show that's fair that's fair which i don't miss that part honestly it's so many long nights um but the fun part about going and seeing any high school show any high school musical is Everybody always tries to put their own spin on something, like something about the show that you're going to watch. No matter how many times you've seen The Little Mermaid, there's going to be something that's different, whether that's because 
uh, the director is trying something or they don't have the exact right cast to do it, so they change some things, or they don't have the money to do it one way, so they figure out how to do it another way, right? There's a lot of creativity that goes into this or can and should go into this, and hopefully all of these problems that you're solving, you're solving in positive, creative ways that serve the story you're trying to tell and aren't just, you know, slapdash, throw it at the wall, which is how high school theater gets a bad rap. High school theater does get a bad rap, and it frustrates me, which should not come as a surprise given, you know, my career choices. Is there a bad high school theater out there? Absolutely yeah. there is bad high school theater out there. Yeah, 100%. there is. 100%. There are real stinkers of shows that I have seen high schools do. Again, I'm not talking about our here. I'm specifically talking about a high school production I saw when I lived down in Virginia. They did a production of Into the Woods, and Ryan, they tried. <laughs> oh, that's not that's not what you want to hear. They Good tried try, real hard. Good try. Oh boy. So my favorite thing that I saw, or my favorite choice that I saw, I'm gonna say that I had not seen done before, and I have seen Little Mermaid a few times. Um, and it was actually Little Mermaid was the show that uh, was my pandemic show that we lost mm-hmm. um, about five weeks out from opening night uh, when the world shut down. But I went and saw a, a local high school do it. And I knew some of the kids who were performing and they did do the same thing that every Little Mermaid does, which is all of the Mer sisters. Uh, come out and play all of the princesses that are all vying for the prince's hand. That's normal. That's how that goes, right? Might as well do it. It makes sense. It works for the story. It's good choices. Um, This high school decided, and I don't believe I've said this to you, Cassie, this high school decided that all of these other princesses that were vying for Prince Eric's hand should all be other Disney princesses. And I loved it so very okay, much. Okay, yeah. You know what? Absolutely. So good. That's great. Yeah. Anna and Elsa and Snow White and Cinderella and Belle and Jasmine, I think. Perfect. Can all, they can all sing. They I can love that. all move. They all need a prince. And they're all, it's great. And then Ariel's like, mm, I, uh, hold on, I have a connection here. I'm going to do this. And it's great. It was a nice little touch. It wasn't overplayed, but they all had a lot of fun and some some individual character work happening. It was a it was a good choice. That's really great. I love that. And now that's the only way I ever want to watch a Little Mermaid. <laughs> I want uh, I want uh, Elsa to uh, get into a little uh, slap fight with Jasmine <laughs> over Perfect. Prince Eric. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, there is bad high school theater out there but i would argue that it's usually a show being chosen that's not a good fit for Mm -hmm. the actors that are present yeah because here's the thing i was talking to the director um of one of these school shows after the show and i i saw the understudy performance of little Mm -hmm. mermaid at our high school um because a lot of my students were in the understudy cast and i could only see the show once and I was talking to her afterwards and I said, you know, we're so lucky to have so much talent because you you could not tell it was an understudy cast performance. Which is the best compliment you can give. Yeah. Like you could not tell that this was not the main cast. And, you know, she agreed. She's like, yes, we do have a lot of talent here. But that so often 
when people compliment high school theater, it's with that tone of surprise. Like, oh, this was a great show for high schoolers. I was so surprised that there was talent here. There's talent everywhere. Like, kids can put on a good show if they're given good material to work with, if a show is Mm -hmm. chosen that fits the people who are there. And if the artistic program is really respected and, like, supported at a school, Mm -hmm. you're, you're going to have talented performances. And it... I wish people would stop treating it as a surprise. And I hate that phrase like, oh, this was pretty good for kids doing it. Those kids are working just as hard as adults that put on theater most of the time. I want to end that stigma (laughs) desperately. And also, high school theater shouldn't have to be like blow you out of the water fantastic. Like if you're going in to see it, you should be going in with the understanding that a lot of the kids who are going to be up there on that stage probably do not do theater outside of these couple of shows at their school. This might mm-hmm. be their first time getting up and performing in front of everybody. And yep. that there are massive benefits to what they are doing beyond just the product at the end. Yeah. I kind of uh, likened that to, like, if you go see a high school football game, like, you're, if you go to a high school football game expecting to see the NFL, you're going to be wildly disappointed yeah. and feel like you wasted your time and these kids aren't good. And it's like, well, hang on. They're kids, um, and they've worked their butts off to be as good at this as they are. And if the coaches know what they're doing, you know, they understand their personnel. They understand where their kids excel. They understand, hey, maybe we do this. Hey, maybe we do this. We focus on these things and we can really play to our strengths and then maybe your team wins some games and you get on a roll or, you know, who knows what happens. But it is it is the same thing in th- the theater world, in the artistic world, in educational settings because you don't want to precast your show. But the most important thing you can do when you pick your show is precast it to an extent because you have to know that you can or can't do it honestly um you guessed peter and the Starcatcher as mm-hmm. the straight play in one of your guesses and that's on my short list and i did seriously consider pitching it for this year um but in looking at the group that i have currently i looked at that group and i said i'm not sure i have a black stash because that role requires such particular comedic timing and such particular ability to do this rapid fire improv dialogue Mm -hmm. and i was like i just don't know that i have somebody who can handle that role yeah and so it wasn't a good fit um our pandemic show for hyt was um children of eden by stephen schwartz and mm-hmm. I haven't even considered trying to remount Children of Eden because our 2020 cast would have had like five very strong male singers. And I have not had that volume of male singers since. And you right. need it for Children of Eden. Sure. Yeah. So I could do it with that group, but I absolutely couldn't do it without that group where we are absolutely. right now. 100%. Every year when I go, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this in the upcoming months as I have to pick the Gateway show for next year, uh, the the first thing I do when I pick perusal scripts is 
remind myself of my cast from the last year and I have a, a list of notes that I take, uh, especially during tech week of the sixth and seventh graders who will the following year be the seventh and eighth graders of what I think they're capable of, what I think they can do so that I can use that to help with show selection because I want to play to their strengths. I want them to shine and it's really, really easy to pick a show that doesn't fit. It's just like going into an audition and picking the wrong song, whether it doesn't fit you or it doesn't fit the show or it's too fast or too slow or not the right key or that picking the material ahead of time to play to your strengths. It just seems so, so basic, but so easy to forget. And so many people just blow right past it because, Oh, I want to do this show because I like the music or we think this would be fun. Not how do we cast it? Well, it's one of the reasons why my high school theater program was so awful is because the director didn't consider who she had when she picked shows. She just picked shows that she wanted to do. And they were all old. Like, none of them were more recent than, like, 1970. I stepped in my senior year because my senior year, she was so checked out. She was so – she should have retired, like, eight years before she did. She should have retired before I got to high school, and she didn't retire until after my younger brother graduated. Our senior year, my senior year, she decided all of a sudden when she'd never done it before to have the thespian officers choose the fall play. So she called him. Okay. She called a meeting and she pitched three scripts to the group. And this was a group of like I went to a very small farming school. So none of these people had read any of these scripts. I had read one of them and I hadn't even heard of the other two because they were these really obscure, you know. But one of them had a guy who dressed in drag. And that was, of course, all about what her pitch was. And so everybody thought that was funny because, you know, yeah, yep. people. And so she's like, well, okay, that's what we're going to do because that's what everybody likes to do. And I asked her if I could read the script, like if I could take the script home and read it. And this play was 120 pages long, which is insanely Jeez. long for a play. There were like two females in the cast. And the rest of the cast was like 10 male roles. And the two females were barely in it. And so I, you know, I went to her the next day and I was like, we can't do this show. We don't have the people to do this show. We had just done a 120 page script where we absolutely were not prepared for performance weekend. The stage manager fed every other line from halfway through act two on during performance. Because great. the show was too long and we couldn't memorize it. And luckily in that instance, I was able to kind of talk her into being the person in charge of the program and picking a different show that was better suited to who we had. We ended up doing the mousetrap, Agatha Christie. But you have to, there's, there is a difference. This is, a, this is its own conversation. But there is a difference between pre-casting a show and choosing a show for the group that you know you have yes absolutely 100 percent. one is very bad directing and one is very good directing yeah beyond directing even it that's program management yeah that's being a good educator and understanding how to bring out the best in your students well you also have to pick shows that are hitting your students at the level they're at as well right which will be different every year it will be different every year. If you don't have a lot of strong singers, 
and then you choose a show that requires like a whole like into the woods that requires a whole bunch of super strong singers Mm -hmm. you're setting your students up for failure right and especially when a couple of those students can probably tap real well or something and then there's yeah it's like we're just going to skip over this whole skill set because we want to do something else it's like hang on and that's i think another reason why theater high school theater gets a bad rap is because not because the kids aren't talented but because they're not being given shows that match the talent that's there Mm -hmm. they're instead looking for what's going to make us money what's going to make us money or um to bring this all the way full circle back to uh, a previous conversation we had about selecting shows uh what we can get by the school board that too or what will be considered appropriate so it is always sticky selecting shows. It is never it is never cut and dry. Mm-mm. Almost never, I would say. Um, you're always going to be agonizing a little bit over this or that or will this work, will this won't work or um, things like that. And I think that's part of the process, having done this <laughs> more than a, a couple of times now. And it is part of the process that I look forward to because it gets me excited about it, but it gives me reason to be excited to work with the students, right? It's not just, hey, I'm going to do Aladdin because I really want to, to do Aladdin, right? And you can get excited for that, but if you're going to do Aladdin because you know that you have someone who is, or a couple of someones who are just going to crush it at Genie, and you have a couple of people who can really sing and you're and you have the right makeup of ethnicities to do the show and it's going to mean something to them and there's and then all of a sudden you have all of these reasons to be excited beyond just hey mm-hmm. i like two of these songs right um and that is something that students pick up on so quickly and want something to latch on to Yeah, it can be a tricky needle to thread for sure because you're also – when I said earlier that, like, they're looking at what show is going to make them money, like, that's not an inconsiderable point. Like, that is something that you need to think about. Like, name recognition is going to get butts in your seats. Yep. But you have to find that balance. Yep. And for me, with my company, that can be particularly hard because we are small Mm-hmm. And we do not have a lot of money. And we don't have the budget to do a Disney show. Sure. We do not have Disney theatricals royalty money. And even if we did, we do not have Disney theatrical set requirement money. <laughs> sure. And even if you even if you did have all of that, you might then not have the space to sell enough tickets to mm-hmm. cover the costs. And then all of a sudden you're that far in the red. And then all of a sudden next year's season is in jeopardy. Yeah. Because you're not just doing one show once. But at the same time, I have to pick a show that my students are going to want to audition for. Mm -hmm. And that's the other part of this process that gets tricky. Because I got to tell you, a lot of my high schoolers right now, not excited for Shakespeare. Well, they're they're wrong. (laughs) It's going to be fun. But here's the thing. It'll be fine. There's so many other, there's so many, there's so many options to do now. But I, I'm not going to blame them for that. It's a straight play. That's not everybody's thing. Some people are musical actors. And I've, mm-hmm. I've had a few of my high school actors who haven't auditioned for the last couple shows because they've been musicals and they're not musical people. So you have to do the give and take. It's Shakespeare, which is also definitely not everybody's cup of tea. Nope. And so that's not going to appeal to some people. 
And because we did our, our musical in the fall with our older cast, I had to pick a straight play for the all ages show that is an all ages show that has mm-hmm. room and roles for my eight to 10 year olds. And right. there aren't a lot of those that are also big cast. That's why we sure. did Phantom Toll Booth in 2015. But there aren't a lot of those shows that hit all of those markers. And so because I do have to be considerate of all of those elements, it means that we are doing a show in the summer that is geared slightly younger. Yep. And some of my high schoolers are going to choose to prioritize some of these summer musical shows that other groups in the area are doing. And that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. Do the thing that you want to do. Chase your bliss. You only get to do high school shows so many times. You only get to learn and do and explore and pick so many times. And that's just how that works. But I I think there's a silver lining to it because it means that this summer show is going to showcase a lot of our middle school age talent Mm -hmm. who haven't gotten big parts because we do have so many talented high schoolers. Sure. And they've been getting the leads and the big parts in this. And so now with this show, if some of those students aren't going to audition for it, it gives some of those younger kids a chance to really step into and grow into that responsibility. And that's one of the reasons why middle and high school theater programs are so important. And it's not necessarily about churning out, you know, professional level performances. Because not everybody who does theater in high school is going to pursue theater after high school. No. And that's not the point, right? It's not the point. No, the point is whenever I do a gateway show, the point is to put on a show and try to make it as good as possible. And there's a paying audience and we, you know, we want to put forward a good product and there's enough talent at the school that I can push and we can, you know, really strive to do something that we can hang our hats on and all of these things. And we push and we push and we do all of this, but it's really not the point. The point is these are students that don't have drama classes during the day. They probably can't take theater classes anywhere else. They could go up to CTW and that's pretty much it. Um, And if I can teach them how story works and how theater works and how to 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 put something on the stage that is compelling um but even more than that like how to read a script how to be a good fellow actor um how to how to be a supportive castmate or crewmate like that those are all skills that i want to instill and they can take with them to more and different levels of theater but it also makes them better people Yeah, it's about building ensemble and building community and recognizing that a project on this scale isn't going to rest on the shoulders of one or two people. It's Mm -hmm. up to everybody. And so we have to work together. It teaches kids how to think in the moment and how to be present in the moment, which is also Mm -hmm. very important. And it gives them an outlet for big emotions. Oh, yes. Yes, it definitely does. Which is so important. It really, really is oh boy i've got some big emotions cassie because i'm almost to tech of streetcar we're so close yeah i've got some big emotions we went on stage for the first time yesterday um and our set was mostly constructed and sometimes you just know when a, a show's going to be special 
and it, we have definitely reached that point. It's like, oh, this is just going to be special, and this is only going to get better and better and better. But it's also, um, and I, I will probably talk about this during another episode as we get closer, or maybe after Streetcar's done, but it has been uh, mentally and emotionally draining for me to do this show. Um, and we haven't even done full runs yet. It's a lot. It is. Uh, so maybe maybe we'll we'll touch on like uh, how to be safe as an actor. Maybe that's, uh, that's something a we'll great add to topic. the list. That's a great topic. Let me tell you, <laughs> method acting, not the thing. No, no, it is not. Not the healthy choice there. Let's be safe out there, kids. Practice safe acting. I want to get that on a T-shirt. I would wear that. Practice safe acting. Practice safe acting. There is a, a TikTok content creator, another one who's relatively new to the scene, but she is a director of high school. And I've sent you a couple of hers. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if I sent you this one or not, but she's been she's been doing comedy sketches based on like conversations she's had with parents, like who are yes, upset with yes, the yes, partner yes, yes, yes. kid has, and conversations with the board, like how they think I choose my show. And so today she did one. She's like, it's only fair that I drag myself. And so hers was like actual notes that I've given my actors. Uh-huh. Um, and you and I have, I, I think you're part of this running joke. It's a running joke from our college theater program mm-hmm. uh, because there is one professor and director in our college theater program who is almost impossible to please. She is very precise and very exacting. And she is notorious for once giving a note that was simply act, act better. better. And so this, this great TikTok note. gave great me note. that vibe too. Cause it was like, great could you note. do it again? But act this time. Yeah. I see what you're trying to do, but I would like you to just do it. <laughs> right. And I've given a tamed down version of that note. Um, oh, my absolutely. Students are, my absolutely. students are familiar with me saying things like, okay, do it again. But now we're going to try the acting part. Like yeah, now we're going right. to do the acting thing. Yeah, it's not a terrible note, but no, but it's it's notorious <laughs> at this point. It's, it's notorious. Like, it's act it's entered better. And act better. <laughs> oh boy! Well, we've been trying to act better to, uh, during this episode, and we somehow are still going to hit the hour mark. It is what it is at this point. We talk a lot. Hopefully, it's useful. Hopefully, you've gotten something out of this. We chose a soapbox as our main topic for this episode we, for both we of us. Did. So we, we kind of brought did. that on ourselves. Who else is going to talk about these things? So, you know, hopefully we're putting something out in the world and uh, some people are able to use it. We sure do hope so. If you are able to use any of this or you want to continue the conversation, uh, hit us up on the Discord. Uh, you can join our, our Patreon at ghostlightmedia.net uh, along with the, all the other fine shows and creators on the network. Uh, if you join the Patreon, we can talk to you on Discord. And that's pretty, pretty cool. We've had some good conversations there. Yeah, we really have. It's a, it's a good time. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. You got anything you need to plug? If you're a student between the ages of 8 and 18, and you're listening to this when it drops, auditions for Shakesplosion are the 17th and 18th. Uh, more information to be found all, uh, at horizonyouththeater.com. .org, but yes. .org. All right, Horizonyouththeater.org slash auditions. <laughs> Horizonyouththeater.org. Uh, you can see me on stage uh, in A Streetcar Named Desire at the Toledo Rep starting April 28th, running for two weekends, ToledoRep.org as well, I believe. But that's it from us. We've talked enough. I'm Ryan. I'm Cassie. Join us next time by the Ghost Light.
This has been a Ghostlight Media production.